Good morning. My name is Matt, and um, I uh, he mentioned uh, City Walk or Trista mentioned City Walk in the video. That's a class that I teach. I'd love if you're checking out New City to consider that. But please RSVP so that we have enough food and childcare for your family. All right, and that'll take place next Sunday, right after this service. Um, last week we kicked off a series called At the Cross, and uh, here it is on the screen. And we are looking at the statements that Jesus made while on the cross, not before the cross. Not after the cross, but while he was literally hanging on the cross, Jesus made some statements. He actually made seven of those. And so last week we started with the first statement, and we're going to continue that today. And instead of reading it to you, I thought that it would be good if we watched how that scripture played out. So let's watch this clip from Passion of the Christ. So if you're new to the Christian faith and today's your first day wandering in, what we just saw was from a clip from the Passion of the Christ, which that doesn't look like a lot of passion. I thought Valentine's Day was passion, right? The passion, God's great love for us, right? His true love for us is that he sent his one and only son 
to die for you and I. And last week we began the first statement that he made, which was in that clip, as well as the second statement. The first and second statements happen in the same conversation. Last week we looked at, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And we didn't do honestly a lot of teaching last week. I just, um, there may still be inserts laying around somewhere, but I just went through the Gospels and I just pulled out the times in the, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospel accounts where Jesus specifically spoke about our attitude towards forgiveness. And what we identified as a theme through each one of those is that there is this high expectation, actually the word is must, that there is this high expectation that followers of Jesus forgive those who have sinned against us as we. Father, forgive us as we forgive others. If you forgive those around you, then you receive forgiveness. And so we we gave everyone like a business card last week, if you weren't here, to kind of catch you up. And I said, here is your homework for today. Look at the insert. You've heard the, the presentation of the gospel message this morning. What is the scripture that you feel the Holy Spirit kind of poked your heart with in the idea of forgiveness? And then who must you forgive? Like who who came to your mind? And so... We had little crosses. Instead of communion, we had communion this morning. We had crosses set up, and we asked people to go and just drop those cards at the cross, if you will. We had over 80 expressions of forgiveness take place last week. I mean, 80 identified scriptures, and then 80 uh, situations of what someone identified as, I must forgive in this vein. And I read those, not because I'm nosy, but because I care about this congregation. I care about this church. But I could have picked the two groups without reading them, and you guys could too if you put some thought into it. Every card dealt with two focuses. A lot of them were others, primarily family, a spouse, a parent, a sibling, aunt, uncle, but someone in the family. And, uh, and then the other group was just one word, and the word was myself. So several of us, over 80 of us last week between our three services, uh, didn't rush out after service. We stayed. We provided space for this. You processed what the Lord was saying to you based on his word. And we wrote out people that uh, we were angry at or had hurt us and that we needed to forgive, right? And then some of us walked up and dropped off a card. And the person that we were thinking about was not someone else, but our own guilt, our own shame, our own condemnation. And this week, to be honest with you, this was a hard message to write because I didn't really have peace about it. And so here at New City Church, we have a teaching team, and whoever's teaching, uh, we get together on Thursday morning at 8 a.m., and we we do a practice, we do a run-through teach with the other teachers, where we give feedback, coaching, what worked, what didn't work. And the message that I gave Thursday and the message that I'm going to give this morning are completely different because, honestly, I just didn't like it. It didn't fit. It didn't work. And as I began to study and ask God, honestly, sitting in my chair in my office, what in the world do you want me to say? Sundays are coming. What do you want me to say? I just began to make some observations in my own life. And I, uh, one of the things, I, I went to the, the uh, Shawnee Royal Ball with my twin girl. I have twin girls that are six. Went to the Royal Ball last week. You know what I hate just about more than anything is those dance chains, you know, you get behind people. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not going to do any more of that. That's all you get right there. That's all you get. I can't stand those things. But here's my thing. This is my observation for my own life from preparing for this message. I invite you to get on the chain and let's see if maybe you would say me too. I think this morning when we watch that clip, I want to give you a perspective of, of others 
and myself when it comes to forgiveness. What we sometimes don't think about when we think about those thieves, those guys that were crucified with Jesus, is that they were there on purpose. Even in the video clip and in the scriptures, of course, they are self-condemned. Like they say, we deserve this. We are guilty, right? They're not up there by accident. Jesus is the one who's up there as the innocent lamb of God, the innocent person, not the other two. And so like when we read thieves or sinners, you're like, well, yeah, that's kind of, but that's honestly not a great interpretation because really a better word to describe those two men would be the word psychopath. These were bad cats. These weren't guys who stole some bread and got crucifixion. That's not how Rome would have worked. And so imagine maybe in our culture, uh, for those of us who remember like maybe a Ted Bundy and a Jeffrey Dahmer, like that's the type of person maybe in our culture. And so you got to think of this. There were people that day who went to the hill of Calgary to Golgotha, not to see Jesus crucified. There were people in the crowd whose lives had been completely altered and changed because of those two psychopaths. And they were in the crowd that day, not for Jesus. Now, they knew who Jesus was. It was clear. He was a famous, there's a lot of stuff going on. But they were there to watch the source of their pain be executed. And so imagine in your life, or, now let some of us, our greatest frustration is that we keep getting cut off in traffic by this person who drives a blue Jeep, right? <laughs> I apologize, right? That's why there's not a Jesus fish on my vehicle, right? Anyway, that's your greatest source of but some of us in the room, and I'll go raise my hand first, we have deep hurts from real people that we have to process often or they will destroy us. Bitterness will take over and completely just, we will become grouchy, mean people because of someone else's behavior in our life. Make sense? Are you with me? And if we're honest, even though we go through, I'm just, again, my observations even when I have forgiven that person and I feel good about it, sometimes there's a trigger. could be a song, a restaurant, a statement, a name, and that person comes to my brain and it's not always a positive next thought. Or sometimes I will hear about that person and I might hear that, yeah, they lost their job. That's, that's what they get, right? you know? I mean, you might hear uh, that their kid has gotten addicted to some type of drug, and somewhere in you, as a forgiving follower of Jesus, you say, well, I hate for that kid, but that's kind of what they get. Apple doesn't far fall from the tree. And things happen. You hear about financial issues. You hear about this, and, and in, somewhere in us, although we know it doesn't feel good, we just kind of go, that's right. That's right. Now, imagine if it was even more extreme and it's a psychopath that has caused great hurt and pain in your family and you've come to watch their execution and as you're there, all of a sudden you hear the source of your pain say to this anointed Messiah, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Basically, Jesus, will you forgive me of my actions? Will you forgive me of my sins? And before you can even process what's going on, you hear this Jesus, this anointed one, say back to the source of your pain, today you will be with me in paradise. In other words, you are forgiven. Your head, my head might explode right there on the spot. What just happened? And the truth is, we write names down and we take a step towards forgiveness and we take a step in that direction, but we have to revisit it often because the thing revisits itself so often in our life. 
And to say, oh, no, I did it that one time. I wrote it on a card. It's good. Like some of us, yeah, we've moved on. Others of us, the thing is so deep, the scar is so, uh, so fresh that it, you, it's, it's more than a business card. It's a daily practice. So how do we forgive others? Now, what about the other group? Those who wrote myself. There were several of those. I need to forgive myself. You would be, and I'm not calling you a psychopath, so let's kind of change the language here, but you're the person on the cross. You're the self-identified, hey, I am a sinner. Lord, I'm not, I'm not thinking about anybody else. I'm not concerned about anybody else's faults. I come to you. I am the guilty one. And how do you find forgiveness for yourself? Is there even forgiveness for what you've done? And this is the thing that I want to speak to this morning, if I may. Here was my big observation that started me down this rabbit hole. If I'm honest, I can be in both positions. There's others that I need to forgive. But if I were to pause thinking about them for a moment and think about me, I got a lot of junk that Matt Miller has to deal with. There's a lot of stuff that I carry around that I haven't forgiven myself for, and it keeps me from doing certain things because the whisper is, you can't do that because of what you blank. There's this, uh, I have coffee with my friend Stan, and Stan and I were reading a portion of a book by, um, what's this guy's name, Daniel um, Kahneman, really, really smart, Israeli-American, won a Nobel Peace Prize. If you've done that, that's pretty cool. I haven't yet. Kidding. (laughs) Haven't done that. He wrote this book called Thinking Fast and Slow, New York Times bestseller. I think it's page 23. Mr. Kahneman says, the premise of this book is that it is easier to recognize other people's mistakes than our own. He wrote a big fat book about it. Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye but fail to see the beam of wood in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove that speck from your eye while there is a beam in your own? You hypocrite. First remove the beam from your own eye, and then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. But I would rather focus on the speck in yours than the beam in mine. Now, would you guys maybe play along with me and just say, you know what, Matt, if we're all honest, we can both be in both positions too. Myself and others. Now, if you're here in the room, I'm going to be really transparent, okay? If you're here in the room and you got no junk, you got no baggage, you're pretty much A-OK, you're probably not going to like us a whole lot. Because, you know, um, a lot of times we think the guy up here preaching is the one that's got it all figured out, you know? And um, I, I don't have it. I'm figuring it out with you, right? And so our vision statement at New City Church is you, family, city, not them, family, city. I would say to each and every one in this room that before God wants to use you, to influence those in your life, he first wants to speak to you. And if our mindset, if we've trained ourselves to always think this, well, I hope they hear it, or I wish they was here, or I better take notes for them, then you are completely missing what God wants to say to you. So look at your buddy, look at your neighbor, look at your pretty wife. won't say your ugly husband, but look at him and say, God wants to speak to you this morning. You can talk in church. It's okay. Say it. All right, come on. God wants to speak to you, right? Don't worry about me. Tell him, don't worry about me. I'm good. Say, don't worry about me. I'm good. It's all about you, brother. It's all about you. So as I was processing that, okay, how I, because, you know, here's the deal. On the card that I wrote down, I didn't write myself. 
I was thinking about someone else. Most of you did too. Thank you for those in the room who were honest and wrote myself because you got this good old boy thinking, right? And so I began to pray, Lord, what in the world is the message this morning? And I came across Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. And I want to read this account to you this morning and maybe give a little bit of commentary on it, not a whole bunch. And then from the scripture, I want to give you four maybe action steps that I pulled out for me. This is what uh, Luke, now Luke was a researcher. He was a smart dude. He was a doctor. And he gave this very detailed account about the life and ministry of Jesus. And it's uh, called the Gospel of Luke. And this is what he writes in chapter 7. Now, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. Real quick, took his place at the table. When you and I take our place at the table, we sit in a chair, we push our gut up against the table. The bigger the gut, the further we sit back. That's not how it would have worked in Jesus' day. The table would have been maybe the height of the stage that I'm standing on, and they would have reclined by the table on big fluffy pillows, and they would have laid down and been eating with their feet pointed in the direction away from the table. That makes sense for what we're going to read next, okay? You need to know that. Then when a woman of that town who was a sinner learned that Jesus was dining at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfumed oil. Now, why, like, how many of you guys have a dinner party, have people over, and then just like strange sinning women come to your place? Like, that sounds really odd. But in this culture, like, we have two, a Pharisee, which is like a religious rock star. Then you have this guy, Jesus, who's doing all these crazy things, and people are thinking he's the Messiah. It was like an open dinner in that culture where people could come, and they could kind of sit around the peripherals of the, of the table and listen to the conversation that was taking place. Now, what this lady is about to do is way not normal. She has great nerve and audacity. Let's watch and see what happens. So she, uh, let me back up. Then when a woman of the town who was a sinner learned that Jesus was dining at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfumed oil that would have cost about a year's worth of wages, just so you know what it is. It's not like exclamation. Remember that stinky stuff? (laughs) Wives of you wear it. Stop. It's not working. All right, here we go. Here we go. As As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, She began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and anointed them with the perfumed oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what kind of woman this is and who is touching him, and that she is a sinner. So Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He replied, Say it, teacher. Jesus says, A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed him 500 silver coins and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss of greeting, but from the time I entered, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfumed oil. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, are forgiven. Thus, she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The truth is, for me, um, observation, is I can stay so focused on other people that I don't really understand just how much God has forgiven in my life. 
We size each other up, right? Well, I haven't done what he's done. I haven't said what she said. I haven't done what that person's done. And by doing that, we neglect to understand just how much Messiah has done for us through the cross. Some of us. Others of us, we recognize it clearly because you think about it all the time. Can I just share some things that people carry? Not making political statements, just things that people share with me as a pastor. They can't forgive that abortion. They can't forgive that adultery. They can't forgive the fact that they cheated and the other person doesn't know. They carry these things. The list goes on and on. Maybe I didn't hit your thing. The list goes on and on and on, and we carry this stuff. And my question to us is, why are you carrying it? I want to bring to light what the woman did and what we might do. The first thing is this. You weep because you know who you are and what you have done. You're not going to be able to do this here. My prayer is that when you get alone by yourself, whether it's home, there's no football, so you have time to think this through. Maybe there's limited distractions in your house because it's, you know, the NBA's off this week. Makes me the best message for us to think. Valentine's Day, you celebrated it last night, maybe. But when you get alone and you say, okay, I'm not going to be mad at anyone else. That's, I'm hitting pause on that, and I'm going to focus on me and my story. What you might discover might not be very pretty. You might, you, might not like, you might not like what you uncover about yourself. And this is why I would say a lot of us or a lot of the world stay self-medicated, whether it's through alcohol or through some illegal drug or through a prescription drug. Yes, there's pain. Yes, there's hurt. But if I don't have to think about it, I don't have to deal with it. And as a follower of Jesus, can I encourage you to step into the discomfort of who you were? I mean, the guy on the cross said, I deserve this. Now listen, we're not going to stay here, but we need to be sober-minded. You need to be able to process, this is who I was. And I'm telling you, the word that comes to my mind, and some of you are going to be offended by this word, some of you will laugh, but you know what? You will realize that you're just a big old turd. That you're not that good. And that you forgot, oh my gosh, I forgot I did that. Oh my gosh, I forgot I said that. I can't believe it. And some of these things will take you back to high school. They will take you back to your college days, things that you've kind of suppressed and just kind of forgotten about. And all the, because, or you've chosen, not to forget, you've chosen not to deal with it by, uh, by, by, by doing your thing. And when all of a sudden you're alone with God in your thoughts and there's nothing to dull the senses, all of this stuff floods on you. And can I say, say to you in the room, deal with it in this way. Weep for who you are and what you've done. Then, number two, we don't stay there. Look what she did. She, uh, she was weeping so much that this lady, her tears were falling from her face and onto the feet of Jesus as she was standing over them. And what does she do? To dry them with her hair and to kiss his feet? You must bow. And this lady who is no longer standing, she is bowing at the feet of Jesus. Listen, this is your source of strength. You're like, Matt, this sounds so weird. Okay, I'm telling you there's something about bowing yourself beyond somebody who you're saying is greater than you. We don't do that. Now, you did it. You proposed to your wife in your small group on Valentine's Day however many years ago. You bowed, right? Please marry me, right? 
You are more worthy than I. We don't do that in any other time, right? Some of you didn't even do that for your wife. You need to do it today. You need to get them, please, please take me again, right? When it comes to following Jesus in this, notice what she does. She bows. You lower yourself from the one that you are hoping will have a relationship with you. And she bowed, and what does she do next? She wipes his, the, the tears. She kisses his feet. She anoints them with oil. What is she doing? She is confessing who he is. When you're weeping for what you've done and you bow to who King Jesus is, the next thing is that you confess that he is the Savior and the Lord of your life. There is no other. And please, and I've been saying this for three weeks, but I want you to catch it. I'm not asking you to think it. When you speak it, when it comes out of your mouth, it's so much more powerful. We think things all the time. We're like, man, I'd never say that. No, this you say. You bow at the feet of Jesus. Your tears are pouring out for what you have done. You're not putting it on anybody else. It's not her fault, his fault, their fault. It's what you did. You're at the feet of Jesus. You're, you're, you're in submission to who he is, and you confess his position. You are the Lord and the Savior. Jesus is both things, church. Think of, the, um, think of like a, a half circle, a pendulum that we swing you got to have good rhythm in your life on this because some of you stay way over here on Jesus as Lord. And, and you're like all about your actions, and you should be. This is, this is where I kind of, just being honest, and you, we can become pharisaical. And we look at everybody else, it's all about grace. Way over here because, you know, if you're way over here on grace all the time, you're like, I can do whatever I want, and Jesus forgives me because he's my Savior. And way over here, it's like, well, he's my Lord, and I have to be very, very, you know, hut two, right? There's a rhythm. Because, you know, for those of us who live over here and Jesus is Lord all the time, we fall. We do something stupid that we say to others they shouldn't do. That beam, right, gets in our eye. And that's when we have to go, thank God that he is also my Savior. Communion this morning is not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done because of who we are. And so we swing to grace. Jesus, thank you that you're my Savior because I just mess up even when I don't want to mess up. But for those of us who live over here all the time and we just kind of go through life with this willy-nilly, I get to do whatever I want because if I say sorry, Jesus has to forgive me. Come on. You take the Lord's name in vain all the time by your lifestyle. Man, I don't say GD. You take the Lord's name in vain with how you choose. You don't treat him with the respect that he's due. In the outside world, watch your, oh, I'm sorry life, oh, I'm sorry life. And they say, well, that's what it means to be a believer. No, we need to swing a little bit this way and say, oh, that scripture that says, if you love me, obey my commands. Do you, do you see? It's a, healthy, it's a healthy swing. It's a healthy relationship. But man, we need to confess at the feet of Jesus through our tears that you are my Lord and my Savior. You know, uh, Tom Cruise said it, you complete me. You complete me, and Jesus does complete you. Can I, can I go with that for a second? Your spouse is not your Jesus. Your kids are not your Jesus. Your job is not your Jesus. Your pastor is not your Jesus. This church is not your Jesus. Jesus is your Jesus. And if you're weeping and bowing at anybody else's feet, can I tell you something? They can't help you. And if you keep coming, I'm just telling you my personality type, if you keep coming weeping and crying at my feet, you're on my nerves. Because I can't fix you either. But you want me to fix you because it's easier to say no to me or to someone else than it is to say no to Jesus Christ. 
But when you look at the scriptures and you look at the words of Jesus, it's really hard to say no to him. It's easy to say no to me and then get mad at Matt because he didn't, this, whatever. No, 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 no. I can't complete you. Jesus can complete you. And he wants to complete you. The fourth one, please don't miss the fourth one. We weep, we bow, we confess, and we accept. We accept Jesus' forgiveness. If there's a step five, here's what I would encourage you to write down. Repeat. Repeat. Because this thing, I mean, we're all adults in the room. There's very few young kids. This thing has been following you your entire adult life for maybe many, many years. Let me say it like that. And it's not going to go. Listen, it 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 knows your scent. It follows you everywhere you go. You can't wash it off. You can't get away from it. You may have to do one, two, three, four every day, multiple times a day. I mean, it's going to come upon you. And here's what, here's what the enemy will do and has been doing in your life. It will remind you of who you are and why you can't do what God's asked you to do because of this thing. And then you have to say, man, you know what? You're right. I did do it. I'm a mess. Thank God that I'm at the feet of Jesus and that he's my Lord and my Savior and he has forgiven me of this said thing. Amen? Amen. And so like, honestly, right now, for some of you in the room, your shoulders should become lighter. Now listen, do not misinterpret what I'm saying to say that your consequences are gone. The Romans didn't hear that guy ask for forgiveness on the cross, and Jesus say, today you'll be with me in paradise, and the Romans say, all right, boys, get him down. He made it right. No, like for some of us in the room, the stuff that we've done has consequences. Financial, legal, I don't know, but there are things like your wife may not take you back just because you did steps one through four. It may be the consequence of your actions. Your boss may not rehire you. You still may not be able to leave the state of Kansas. Just saying. Don't confuse consequences with the saving grace of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of your sins. That's where Pastor Chris, one of our communicators here, teachers, he would say, whether you're living in a mansion or living in a cave, you follow Jesus. Whether the consequences are none or they're heavy, you follow Jesus in that thing, in his grace and in his mercy. Let's turn our insert over. Insert over. How do we talk about that's myself? I want to take just a little bit of time. How do we forgive others? And I want to do so by reading a, a, a portion of a letter that Paul wrote to the church of Rome. And I want us to notice just how crazy Paul is because you will check out when I check out. Ready? So here is my attempt to help us understand this. Paul says, love must be sincere, meaning love must not be fake. I told the Tuesday night Bible study, please quit saying if you do, oh, I'm going to take the high road. You know what that means? You don't mean it. I'm going to take the high road. I'm going to be the better man. No, love must be sincere. It must be really who you are, and we have to work towards that because it's not natural for us. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. By the way, you have permission from Paul to hate what is evil and to cling to what is good. That doesn't mean that because you hate what is evil, you hate the person doing the evil. Just because I don't agree with your lifestyle doesn't mean I have to treat you like a huge jerk and an outcast. Jesus tells us in 1 John and through the Gospels, they will know you by your love. They will know you by your love, not by how big your Bible is, not by your denomination, right? Not by your Jesus fish, not by your cross around your neck. 
They will know you by your love. If you want to change the world, let's begin to have love in our heart. It must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. This is all good stuff, right? It's easy so far. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who... Per- this was a typo. Because there's no way Paul is going to tell us to bless those who persecute you. And then he must have been drinking that. He must have had communion with real wine. And bless and do not curse. Or he might be saying to the people of God, Jesus teaches us a new way to be human. And we bless those who persecute. We bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Okay, we're back in. Paul's got us again. Rejoice with those who rejoice. We're good with that. We get to go to a party. Mourn with those who mourn. We know that. Thank you, Paul. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Okay, you're checking out again, Paul. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And we all say, well, at least we get to burn their head. (laughs) Until we understand what he's saying. Homes were heated by coal, by fire, by stove. And when your next door enemy, coal has gone out, and he comes to your door saying, my house is cold, and we can't cook food, and the kids are shaking. Can you help? Instead of saying, ha, ha, ha. That's what you get. What do you do? You will heap burning coals on his head. Not, here's a coal. Let me give you a heap of coals from my fire that's working, and I'm going to give it to you. And you say, but I don't get it. But how do people in the Middle East currently carry things, even to this day? On their head? And so your next-door enemy is walking back to their cold home with a heap of coals on their head that was given to by the person who they've been persecuting and being hateful and telling lies about and causing pain and hurt. And why do we do these things? Because we don't repay evil with evil. We overcome evil by doing good. The smart, nerdy term is called the myth of redemptive violence. And it's what every movie in Hollywood's about. Taken. Not that I wouldn't go after my daughter, but man, that's awesome, right? (laughs) Anything, right? It's the myth of redemptive violence. I'm going to repay evil with at least as much evil, and it's going to make it right. But anybody who's ever done that knows that it doesn't make it right because it doesn't change what has happened to you. So here are four things, right, just from this scripture. Number one, pray for them, bless, don't curse. This is where you got to start because this is going to be challenging for some of us. I'm not talking about the guy that cut you off in traffic. I'm talking about the psycho on the cross. Pray for them. Don't curse. It's not, Lord, I pray. Don't tell the Lord what, he, what you think he should do to them. That's not your job. You pray for them. Some of you don't know how to pray for them, and you tell the Lord that, Lord, I can't think of one nice thing to say about this person, so I just give them to you. 
and I trust you in this. That's where you start. And I promise you, been there, been there and there. The Lord will give you language on what to say as time unfolds and the, and the wound begins to heal. Second one is live at peace. Don't, don't provoke. If you need to defend yourself, you defend yourself. But Paul says, don't you dare provoke. If at all possible, live at peace with people. Some of us in the room are great provokers. I'm a great provoker. If I responded to every stupid Facebook post I read, like I want to, nobody would like me. And then a lot of people would really like me, and I would be so divisive. Man, listen, Paul says, we have this idea that we have freedom of speech. Can I just tell you, you do as an American, and you take that freedom, that first bill, that right that you have, and then you squeeze it through the filter of Jesus saying, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. You take that freedom and you squeeze it through, speak the truth in love. And at the conclusion of letting Jesus get a hold of your words, if you can still post that on Facebook, then have a ball. But don't you dare take your right and surplant it higher than Jesus, our Lord and Savior. He's the boss. Are you with me? I just shake my head all the time at people who are professing Christians. And then, I, and then wonder why the rest of the world shakes their head at us. I know because they know us by what we're for or what we're against. And they don't know us by our love. And I'll shut up and go to number three. All right. Sorry. Don't take revenge, Paul says. The battle belongs to the Lord. Notice that. He says, do not take revenge, my dear friends. And if you just stop there, you're like, well, you mean I have to let it go? I don't get vengeance for what happened to my family? Finish the sentence that Paul says, but leave room for God's wrath. God will not take up the battle while you're still holding the sword. Like some of you are like, okay, Lord, how about this? How about I give you the sword and I'll take the dagger and let's go get this sucker right? That's not how God works. Listen, I'm asking you, please hear this, in your vengeance to set the spear down on purpose, to forgive on purpose, not because it doesn't matter. It's because the battle belongs to the Lord. We have this mentality because it's been crammed down our throats that Jesus is my co-pilot. Listen, Jesus is not your co-pilot. He wants to fly your flipping plane and he doesn't need you. He doesn't need you in the co-pilot seat either. Listen, if Jesus needs you, think about this. If Jesus needs your help and vengeance, then he is not God, you are. God doesn't need your help. Jesus has totally got this thing. But if you're like, come on, tag me in like some WWE stuff, then you're missing it. Listen, he's never going to tag you in. He don't need you. He doesn't need me. He just needs us to trust in him. And the fourth one is this, bless them and overcome evil by doing good. You want to be a mature follower of Jesus? Man, we got to get to step four where we can actually bless that person and not curse them. I'm being honest. It takes growth to get there because sometimes we have dealt with psychopaths that have caused great pain. What is your posture? I'll use this and I'm done. When I was a kid, I still had bad posture. My mom and my granny would always get on to me for bad posture. Matt, you're humped over. You're going to be hunched over when you're 80. I probably will be. Your posture, have good posture. What is your posture when it comes to forgiveness this morning? Do you have the posture of, no way, I can never forgive that person? Or do you have the posture of, you know what? It's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a journey, but I will walk in that direction. And I'm going to practice it with these four steps based out of the scriptures. I'm going to pray, but I'm going to pray with our eyes open. But this is my prayer, right? 
right here, is that you wouldn't take what was said today, the scriptures that were read, and let it ooze out of your brain and not allow God to do something in your life with it. One of the great sins of the American church is that we hear the word preached in a variety of ways, and yet we don't allow it to have any impact in our life. Saying good message is way different than saying good message and here's how I'm going to apply it. This is discipling language here at New City Church. What is God saying to you and now what will you do with it? Please don't lose it between here and the parking lot. Come on. Don't lose it between here and the parking lot.